exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Milanowski. Today we have Reverend Neil Wilkinson, who joins us on The Cumberland Road. Neil is the senior pastor at White Oak Pond Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Lebanon, Missouri. Neil grew up in Northern Ireland, and he moved to the United States in 2011, coming to Nashville, Tennessee, for his education in the Center for Youth Ministry Training, where he served for four years as a middle school minister in the United Methodist Church. It was in Nashville where Neil met his wife, Joanna, who is a fourth-generation Cumberland Presbyterian. Neil has been at White Oak Pond since January 2018. He and Joanna just had their first child, Nora Ellis, in November of 2019. Neil, thank you for joining us today. How are you? Very well, TJ. Thank you so much for having me. I like to start our conversations with a question, and this is a question of journey, and it's a question about our experience with God. So I feel like this is a good place to start. So I want to ask, can you recall your earliest experience with God? I can recall doing lots of things in church in my family. Um, I recall my mom sitting at the kitchen table going through devotionals with me. But the first encounter um, that was personal and real to me with God was when I was 12 in the year 2000. That summer, I had gone to France with an organization called the Boys Brigade, BB, and it's a Christian uniformed organization, kind of like the Scouts. We did Bible study, marching drills, sports and skills and things. And we'd gone for a week to France. And every night there was a speaker. It was my assistant minister at the time, Johnny Moxon. And each night, we didn't have altar calls come forward to the front. We had a, hey, if, if God's been moving in your life, come see me afterwards and we'll talk and pray. And one evening, I don't recall really the sermon, but I recall uh, him talking about the love of Jesus and that Jesus loved me enough to die for me. And that was a incredibly compelling um, feeling uh, and compelling message, this embrace of god and jesus so i went afterwards and spoke to him uh, i have no idea what was said uh, or, or what i said it was later that summer at an event at our church called quality week and i was 12 and in northern ireland that was the you go to essentially you go to high school in, in 11th grade or when you're 11 years old there's no middle school you just go from primary school to secondary school so having gone into secondary school, I got to go to the cool church events with the cool kids. And one of those was quality week, um, a week of events in the summer. And there was a week, uh, every night there was a talk. And again, at the end of that talk, um, I spoke to the my youth minister asking about how to be a Christian, how to become a Christian. So there is something, something in me at that point, I was feeling compelled by Jesus and by the message of Jesus. It wasn't actually until January of 2001 that would be six months later, that I remember I shared a, a bedroom with my little brother. He uh, he's younger. He went to get his bath. And I remember kneeling by my bed and praying, giving my life to Jesus, committing my life um, to be, to be, receive his love and to live my life for him. So that was my first um, 
I guess, series of encounters. I don't remember the in-betweens, but uh, clearly at that point in my life, you're going into high school, trying to search for who, who you are, um, who you want to be. And my that experience of that message and of that um, experience with God was what grounded me in my teenage years. This is who I am. I'm, I belong to Jesus. I'm loved by Jesus. Um, I think that the timing of that, those messages, you're going to these cool kid events, you're taking things more seriously. I also really admired my older brother and he was um, at church all the time. That was his life. And um, so he was a model for me. And uh, those experiences is what grounded me in my teenage years. Looking into your teenage years and even into adulthood, how has your faith in Jesus Christ given you purpose? You know, church became my life in my teenage years sometime, probably a few years after that, when I'm from kind of 15 and up later teenage years, church was my life. And my youth ministers, they invested time in me, took me for breakfast, took me for coffee, asked me about my life, asked me about my relationship with God. Um, they, so those relationships for themselves were grinding too. And they trusted me um, in youth group to lead a small group, to then after that lead um, a group for younger kids, and then to lead a lesson. And so the church was giving me, my youth ministers were giving me a sense of purpose. I have something to contribute. So, you know, those early experiences grounded me in my identity, but it really church and being in part of the church became part of why I existed. That and soccer, which football, of course, in the UK, uh, those two things were the things that give me meaning and purpose was I had something to do. I had something to give. and by the time I was 18, I had knew that I was called to love and serve the church. Mm. And my, I talked to my minister. He got me with a couple of elders, and they affirmed my call and said, yeah, we, we agree. We think that you're called to ministry. Neil, what is it about God that just keeps you drawing and, and pulling you back and identifying with the Christian faith? For me, it is... The, the meaning and purpose that it gives to life. I remember my grandmother died, Granny Wilkinson, 2003. So I've been a Christian a couple of years by that point. And um, I was remember listening to a song during that time called When It's All Been Said and Done. And of course goes, when it's all been said and done, there's just one thing that matters. Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? I listened to that song time and time again at that time. And my grandmother's death didn't, it wasn't about a fear of dying or a fear of hell or any fear of anything. It was a experience of being compelled that life is short. Like we are fragile. We all just have a period of time to be alive. And faith, Jesus, give me a reason to be alive and a vision for a life well used, uh, a life well spent. And um, that's still what compels me to faith is it 
gives me a life and meaning and purpose and a way to think about the world that's oftentimes difficult and painful in hopeful ways that it has a direction it has a purpose it has a goodness to it and that it is headed towards god's love and god's justice so it gives me a way to exist with hope and meaning and purpose in the world all right well this show is called cumberland road you know it implies travel uh metaphorical spiritual and through our faith but can also include real physical travel and in your case you have traveled from northern ireland to the united states so what has happened in your journey that ha in, in terms of your ministry and life to experience such a cultural change so I was 18 and headed for ministry. Union Theological Seminary in Belfast is the Presbyterian Seminary, Presbyterian Church in Ireland. That's where I was headed. After I got my graduate work in social work, because you need an undergraduate, and I wanted ministry to be grounded in the real world, so I did social work. At the end of that, I took a gap year. I also took a gap year before college, so two gap years, uh, one on either end. I took my time, and uh, I was working with denominational headquarters we helped develop a youth assembly for the church. And one of the uh, the youth development officer um, there, Thompson, he was a mentor to me. And, and as I was coming to the end of, or in that gap year, the second gap year, he said, where would you, what would you do if you had, what would you do next if you had no limitation on resources? Money wasn't an issue, you know, what do you do next if you could do anything? And I told him that I would love to go to study in America for a year, America or Canada for a year, because I was aware that I was very, I was on a path, a set path. I was very comfortable in it. And in some ways, I, I thought of myself as the golden child of the church. Maybe others didn't see me that way, but I was involved in the denominational level. I was involved in my congregation. And um, I wondered to myself, you know, would this would I have the same passion for Jesus and for the church if I was taken out of this comfortable bubble? And so um, that was a mistake because he immediately said, oh, I know a guy, Mark DeVries in Nashville. And I just knew in that instant just that something had changed. Uh, <laughs> I could question, still think of that. The question was a setup. <laughs> Perhaps a holy one. Um, so. You know, he reached out and I got an email back from Center for Youth Ministry Training in Nashville, Tennessee, three-year residency program. They would make you a youth minister while going through a master's degree in, in youth ministry. They would pay you for it. They would also pay for your housing and your books and your education. And uh, it, was a, it was a perfect opportunity, except it was three years. And I just wanted to go for one year. <laughs> but at that time, I... Uh, you know, I I was single and, you know, why not? Why not go and take, you know, leap, take a leap of faith? And, and so that's what, um, that's what brought me to, to the States was that wonder, that curiosity, is this just because it's comfortable or is this real? And so it was in a sense a, a test of my own faith 
to to go somewhere else and be exposed to different culture, different religious traditions, and also take myself out of all those comfortable positions that I felt like I was in. You were transported right into the Bible Belt of the United States. <laughs> and it was a culture shock for sure. <laughs> How did you find the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, or how did the Cumberland Presbyterian Church find you? In the Center for Youth Ministry Training, uh, CYMT, there were several Cumberland Presbyterians, and they were quite the clique. Uh, the thing I've discovered early about Cumberland is they're a very tight-knit group, and they pride themselves in that, their family, which is a, a really a strength of the church. It also can be a weakness, because families aren't always welcoming. And so... Uh, that was my first experience of, of Cumberland's uh, was um, that they were very tight knit, but also a, um, a little maybe hard to uh, break into in some senses. I worked in the United Methodist Church for those four years, uh, but I met my wife there, Joanna, and she's a fourth generation CP. And um, eventually I convinced her to go on a date with me. And, and very, I was aware that I was expecting exploring my call. And I knew that I was wanted to do a master of divinity. I knew I was going to go into, um, to be a pastor. That was my call, but I was also very cognizant that my, you know, in marriage, that's a calling too. And it's not just about my call, but also my wife's call. I had been taken out of my denomination. There is no Presbyterian church in Ireland in the United States. My wife has been a fourth you know, as a fourth generation CP has been a part of this denomination and loved this denomination and served this denomination for years. It was, so that was very much on my mind is this isn't just my call, it's our call. Um, so that's really the, the motivating factor, but the, I mean, the CP church has been a place where I can embrace my Presbyterian roots in terms of its government structure, in terms of its focus on the sovereignty of God, God's initiative and grace. That's all, all Presbyterian. But yet they rejected the predestination of the Westminster Confession, which Presbyterian Church in Ireland still, um, ministers still have to subscribe to that. So I actually find the Cumberland Presbyterian Church to be a great mix of the Presbyterian roots also with uh, embracing that more, uh, the human agency and the human responsibility. That's what's turned out to be a really great home for me. Let's talk about your life and your ministry now. What is happening? Well, this is my third year at White Oak Pond. And um, the first two years were a lot of me learning how to be a senior pastor. I've done ministry for many years, but moderating a session and preaching every single week, those are things I had to get used to and learn how to do. This third year, really, we were, I was leading the session to think about our vision, where are we headed as a church? Who are we? Why are we here? Let's be clear about that. And then May, uh, March hit, and we entered into the wilderness of the pandemic. And wilderness really is the word for this year. Um, it was actually the theme of our Lent series. And we're going through the Exodus story at the minute in church in the lecture and uh, we're literally in the desert and that perfectly it perfectly communicates where um, I see uh, my ministry today um, is 
confusing, disorienting, dizzying, and not sure, you know, what comes next. And so it really has been a difficult year vocationally as a pastor, but also like everybody else, spirit is difficult, like the isolation, you know, we're not seeing people like we used to. And then the political division, the racial justice unrest, those conversations, it's really difficult here. Um, where I, I see God most at the moment, and this might sound like a cheap answer, but it's the honest answer, is in my child. Um, we had our first child um, after several years of waiting uh, in November. And she has been, I see God at work in my life through her just by watching her play, by being reminded of the simplicity and the beauty of simple things, you know, learning to walk, putting things in your mouth, touching everything, um, the laughter. Uh, so much of that has been so awakened my soul in this dry wilderness to joy and to goodness and beauty of life. Uh, and then to, as I hold her, um, often putting her down for, for bed, in my love for her, I'm reminded of the way God loves us and the way God loves me personally. So as I hold her and love her, I receive that holding and loving of God for myself. And that has been... Honestly, if this wilderness would be so much more dry and more difficult if it weren't for her in our life at the minute. So being a father has been just incredibly, an incredibly spiritual experience and a really enriching experience. The other place I guess I'd see it is, um, I, I can think of a couple of conversations I've had with people that um, I saw things differently with. I remember I was about to preach a sermon in which I was going to address um, the killing of the of George Floyd and make a response. And uh, in preparation for that, someone came by my office who had had a very different perspective. And I remember being filled with terror to preach that sermon and also to talk to this um, one of our elders. And yet we sat for probably an hour and a half, two hours, which eat up my sermon time. But we sat and we talked and loved each other. I know in that conversation that he loved me and I loved him. And we were able to disagree and yet still maintain each other's humanity. And I felt so encouraged after that conversation, even though I didn't change his mind, he didn't change my mind. But we were able to stick together through the pain and the difficulty of disagreeing with each other and seeing someone you love disagree with, with you. For me, that's another uh, place in which I've seen God um, at work. And that I, I feel is a way in which God still calls me in my ministry is to kind of facilitate and foster those kind of moments, those conversations of honesty and with people that we disagree with. Yeah, there's something about, especially through a child, observing the world through someone else's perspective and and watching a young person just absorb all this everything is new such a humbling experience for me 
and challenging because it makes me look at something that is so mundane or that I'm used to or I can overlook and look at it new through another person's eyes, you know, through a young person's eyes, through a child's eyes, through a daughter or through a son. There's just something renewing about that and humbling at the same time. Absolutely. And for me, it's provoked a lot of gratitude, just being thankful and a child reminding me all those things. Yeah, I'm thankful for that I have a body. I can walk, that we can enjoy these things. We can laugh. And I've needed a lot of that in the, the past six months. Neil, what what kind of hopes and dreams and aspirations do you have for the church? We have been talking about going back to normal really since the, the first Sunday of lockdown. But, you know, when I think about normal, one of the things I've realized through this, um, I'm not sure normal was all that great. You know, the, the church has been struggling and declining for years. Uh, people aren't showing up at Sunday school like they did. It's hard to get kids to go to youth group. Mm-hmm. You know, things have been changing for a long time. And, you know, we've been kind of surviving it. Um, somebody, one metaphor somebody used is, you know, the pandemic has really sank our sank our boat, but really the boat's been sinking for a while. You know, my, my hope is that we won't just think about going back to normal or back to in a, a better time. Really, you know, I, I think about the, the, the Israelites, Israelites out of Egypt. They stand at the edge of the Red Sea and they want to go back and Moses says, go forward. And I think that's this moment, as much as it's terrible and, you know, for obvious reasons, people are dying and there's uh, the, the economy. Um, but the opportunity for us is to innovate and to do things differently. I think the church for a long time has been hanging on to the way things used to be and in a, in a, maybe even the power that we had in, in our culture and our society. When I think that this is an opportunity for us to be more an authentic church and to discover what's really important. And what we've discovered, what's really important is community and connection. And not sur- surface connection, but where we share our lives together and we share this faith journey together. Not just going to the programs, having a good worship service, keeping the tradition going, but discovering a real authentic faith in, in what God is, has been doing throughout time and, and, and especially in Jesus. Now, I want the church to recover that real sense of why we're here and why we do this thing called church. Um, and I think a big part of that is embracing relationships, real relationships, and being willing to be honest with each other, and especially with those that we're, we disagree with. I think that in a world where we can't talk to people that we talk past or we just ignore people that we disagree with, I would love the church to be courageous enough to be the place where conversations happen, whatever the issue where you both can express your point of view, be heard, be still love each other and still claim the faith and walk the faith journey together. I would love to see the church 
facilitate and foster those kind of honest, loving conversations. Mm. And show the world how to do it. Yes, absolutely. We can be a light in the darkness of division is, you know, model what civility and what respect uh, looks like. And, And we have the key to that because we believe that person that I disagree with is still made in the image of God. We are armed with a strong theology uh, to go about those conversations. But, you know, fear, fear is this powerful force that keeps us from each other. Neil, I'd like to end our conversation with a question that you, that your youth minister or colleague raised with you with a little bit of a twist. He asked you if you could go anywhere you know, where would that be? I want to reframe that question and ask you if you could talk to God and ask for one thing, knew that you would get an answer, what would it be? There, that's such a big question. There there are so many things, but um, there's so many things I want to talk to God about, talking about the difficulties of being a pastor, the difficulty of talking, you know, leading in contentious uh, moments, uh, but actually getting an answer. Um, I think, okay, here's, here's my best, my, my, here's my best stab. I think I would ask God what God's perception, like if God is watching us argue with each other about race and about masks, and about whatever. I want to know what God is thinking and feeling as God watches and experiences that. Mm. You know, I, I, I want to I want to have God's perspective from the outside looking in and what's happening in humanity right now. That would be very interesting to have that response, that answer. It might not be what I would want to hear. Neil, how can we... Con- we might have some answers already in the prophets, and we might not like that. Oh, well, that's true. That's, that's very true. Neil, how can we continue to follow your faith journey? I have made a conscious effort over the past few years to disconnect from social media. So uh, I've kind of gone dark uh, over the past uh, number of years. Okay. Um, really, the only place you can find things, find my contributions are on the White Oak Pond Facebook page by watching the sermons and uh, the weekly emails that I put out. I put out weekly notes to my congregation every week. Uh, really, I've been focusing on my efforts on my congregation and learning to be their pastor. Um, I do hope to be able to write, uh, take up writing again soon uh, in the near future. But for now, if you want to, Hear from me, and the best place is to go to the White Presbyterian Church Facebook page. Okay, or um, message me on Facebook. All right, Neil, thank you for joining us and sharing your time, and thank you for listening today. Tell a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road. Thank you.